My name is Ryan. Uh, I'm a pastoral resident here at VBC, which uh, means that they pay me to be a nerd, and uh, I love that. Um, I uh, get to do all sorts of uh, interesting research into Bible background and stuff like that, which is like my jam. Like that's what I live for, to look at uh, Greek and Hebrew and Assyrian religion and all that kind of stuff, right? And so, so that means you don't have to, right? Like I exist, so you don't have to do that. And uh, you exist, so I don't have to do whatever you do, right? Because I'm not, I'm not trying to do what you do. Uh, I'm not, that's, that's not going to work for me. Um, it's good to be with you this morning, uh, this uh, second Sunday of Easter. He is risen. Amen, amen, uh, and, that's, and that's good news, right? Um, but in spite of that, sometimes even in the midst of a season like this, um, we feel like we're stuck on Good Friday and Sunday's not coming, right? Um, we feel like our life is in the grave and we're, you know, stuck. And, uh, and so today, one of the things we're going to be talking about is what do we do when the good news is preached but it's not experienced. Um, because obviously, like, we always want to preach the good news, but sometimes, like, we're just not feeling it. Like, we look at our life, and we're like, this isn't, this doesn't look particularly good, right? Uh, Brett talked about this last week with John the Baptist. Um, John the ba- Baptist asks Jesus if he's the one, which is probably one of the most ironic things in Scripture, in my mind, because John has literally one job, and that's to know that Jesus is the Messiah. Like, that's the reason John is born, is to know that Jesus is the Messiah. And at some point in his life, John's like, so are you him? Right? And you're like, John, you, one job, man. One, one job. Um, and so uh, he has this. And the main reason that he has this is that uh, he was a prisoner when he has this question. And the Messiah is supposed to liberate prisoners. And so John's in prison, and he's like, hey, can I get some of that liberation, right? Like, that'd be great if you could do that, break the bonds, right? Uh, but John knows that Jesus can do that. More importantly, he knows that Jesus will break the more important bondage of sin and death. So John realizes that the immediate circumstance isn't as important as the eventual victory, right? What he's facing right now, and I've, Neil also assured me that noise, whatever that is, the boiler, the boiler is not going to explode, I think, right? Like, we'll just take odds on that and see how it goes. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I trust Neil. I don't know if you trust Neil, but I mean, he seems like a, a good dude. So, um, so um, this is John, right? Like, he trusts that Jesus is going to have the eventual uh, victory. And uh, John dies, right? So, yay, right? Like, that's exciting, right? Um, well, I, actually, I think it is um, because this is, a, this is a picture of transcendent peace, that uh, my, my hope, my future, uh, my peace is not anchored to my present circumstances, um, that my life can be like John, that I know that I have a hope beyond the veil, Right? The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the anchor of our hope on the other side of the veil. And uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for that because sometimes my life is, is a mess and I need that. Um, in previous sermons, I've shared some of my struggles, especially with uh, depression. I've experienced a lot of loss in my life and uh, sometimes that leaves me just sort of feeling like 
any action whatsoever is basically impossible, right? That's, for those of you who haven't experienced depression, that's what depression is like. It's not necessarily sadness as much as it's, I can't do anything. Like, I just, I just can't, I can't get out of bed, right? Like, I just, I've got nothing. Um, and during those times, I should be grateful. But it's, it's hard to live that John the Baptist life, right? It's hard to be grateful for something that you haven't received. Uh, if I were to tell you right now, and this is a hypothetical, I don't want to get your, your hopes up. If I were to tell you right now that I'm going to pay off all of your debt, you'd be excited, but you wouldn't be grateful. You wouldn't be grateful until you saw those zero balances, right? Like, it's hard to be grateful for something that you haven't received. So you'd be like, yeah, sweet. But then you'd also, like, get on your phone and be like, so has it happened yet? Like, refresh, refresh, right? Um, and so, you know, this is kind of where we live, right? Like, we're excited for things sometimes, but it's hard to express that gratitude. I remember there was this one particular difficult time that I was driving home from work, and uh, I, uh, I was listening to Christian radio, um, not because I like Christian radio, I really don't. Uh, but Brett, in a sermon, was like, you know, I'd rather listen to cheesy lyrics that are talking about Jesus than good music that isn't, right? And so I was really challenged by that, and I was like, I'm going to listen to some Christian radio, so thanks, Brett. Um, <clears throat> so I'm listening to this, and I'm just having, like, like, the worst day of my life, right? And I'm driving home, and I hear these lyrics. I hear, um, I hear the whisper underneath your breath. I hear you whisper, you have nothing left. I will send out an army to find you. In the middle of the darkest night, it's true, I will rescue you. I will never stop marching to reach you. In the middle of the hardest fight, it's true, I will rescue you. Now, this is the part of the sermon where you would expect me to say that that was like really encouraging for me, right? That is not what's going to happen. Um, this was not encouraging for me. I tend to like default towards pessimism. Uh, and if you know me, I know that's a huge shock to you that like I seem like just such an extroverted, happy, bouncy person, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I've got you fooled. Um, when I heard these lyrics, my thought was, I don't see any armies. I don't see any rescue. I passed, I have nothing left a long time ago, and no help has shown up. So, who cares, right? Like, whatever, right? This is what happens when you listen to Christian radio. Thank you, Brett. Um, now, since then, you know, I'm, I'm tearing up even now just thinking about that moment, right? Uh, since then, a lot has happened. God, God has really come through for us in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I found a good therapist. I started antidepressants. And lots of circumstances in my life have changed. And I could go on and on and on about all of those different circumstances. Um, but uh, here's what's challenging in this text, lest you think we're not going to get to the Bible, we're getting to the Bible, right? Um, here, here's what's challenging about this text in Isaiah, is that even when we don't think that God's going to come through, he does. Um, he may not necessarily come through on our timeline, uh, but he does come through. Uh, we're not just talking about him coming through, though, we're talking about why. Uh, why does he come through? See, him coming through and our gratitude for it is not just about us. Um, nothing is, right? Like, one of the things that we have to work on, specifically in our individualistic culture, is to move beyond 
the just me and Jesus or just me, right? Uh, and think about everybody else. And so let's pick up with what Brett was talking about last week. Um, in Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, um, the Messiah declares good news and freedom to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the bound, and the mourning. And this is really great. Uh, if you've experienced any of those things, th that, that would be exciting for you, right? But there's an element of this that we, may, that we miss based on our culture. Um, Isaiah, along with basically everybody else in the Bible, lived in what we would call an honor-shame society. And we've talked about this a little bit, right? That Jesus doesn't just save us from our sins. He, he saves us uh, from our shame. Um, and so what's happening here is these uh, labels, prisoner, mourning, right? Like all of those things, those are all shameful. And so Jesus is not just dealing with their circumstances. He's dealing with their placement in society. He's restoring honor to them. Uh, this is not just um, uh, helping them out to like make their life a little bit better. He's, he's, they're honorable now as a result of these actions, um, which, you know, that's great, right? Sort of, I guess. Um, I mean, really though, like when I say that, like most of us are like, cool, they're honorable. Like, what does that even mean, right? This reminds me of C.S. Lewis uh, in his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He talks about this idea that we're going to have glory in eternity. And he says this could mean one of two things. It could mean that we're shiny, right, like glorious and radiant. Or it could mean that we're, like, important. And he basically immediately dismisses these, says that shiny is preposterous and that importance is prideful. But then he goes on to explore how both of those are actually true that we react against them, but in some real sense, God actually is going to make us shiny and important. Um, and so I'm not gonna spoil that for you. You can download The Weight of Glory online. You can get a PDF of it for free. It's like nine pages long. Um, so you should do that and read it. It's fantastic. Uh, but I'm gonna attempt today for honor what C.S. Lewis did for glory. Uh, because when we hear honor, we tend to think like that's kind of silly, right? Um, in this passage, we get like a beautiful headdress and garments of praise, like, yay, right? Like, I, I don't wake up in the morning thinking like, man, I really hope I get a beautiful headdress today, right? Like, that's just not on my list of things that I want. Um, but in a society where honor is important, your clothing is very important. Uh, think about it this way. If you were... Um, dirty yesterday and today you have the nicest clothes imaginable people are going to notice right and not only that they're probably going to start talking about it like how did that happen who helped them right uh, to carry on a joke with Brett and Jesse right who gave them Tim's right? Like, how are they rocking Tim's right now, right? They had Skechers yesterday, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, I mean, this conversation is going to continue. This is publicity in the ancient world. If you are a benefactor and you want to help people, one of the ways that you do that is that you help them in a visible manner so that other people can see that help is available. You restore them Physically, you give them clothes that show, like, this person's circumstances have changed, 
so that other people can see like, hey, someone, their, their circumstances changed. Maybe my circumstances can change, right? Look at what happens next in our passage in verse 4. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers, strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Have you ever driven by like a, a old busted building? There's like none in Radford, right? Like none. Like we're like on point, right? Um, you, like eventually you get to a point where that building, you just sort of like forget that it's even there, right? Because it's just no one's using it. So you just sort of like ignore it, right? But then like one day someone starts painting it. And someone starts cleaning it out, right? And, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, what's happening there? What's, what's going on there? Who's doing that? How are they doing that? Now imagine that you're the owner of another property like that. How excited are you that you're like, hey, there's a person in this area that wants to invest in properties like that. How can I get their number? Right? Do they want to take on another project? Because uh, I got one over here, right? Like, let's, let's get at it, right? This is exactly what God is doing in this passage. You have these ancient buildings that are in ruins, and everyone knows that those ruins are there, and they, they just sort of fade into the landscape. But then one day, those ruins start to be rebuilt, and everybody's like, wait, 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 that's been, that's been there all my life, that's been there all my dad's life, that's been there all my granddad's life. Like, I don't know anyone who's ever seen that not as a ruin. And suddenly it's being restored. The next verse in our passage, right, we start to get buzz. Instead of your shame, there, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, their land they shall possess. In their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. No, notice how dramatic the shift is here, that you've been a prisoner, you've been mourning, right? You've been a shameful person, and now you are being globally recognized as an honored person. This is a dramatic shift. Why does God do this? To draw others. This uh, rebuilding project is a restoration of honor. Uh, these buildings are likely destroyed uh, in war by the victors, which leaves the losers in shame. By being able to rebuild, the former losers regain their honor. But wait, there's more, right? There's our... our uh, uh, what's a commercial line, right? But wait, there's more. Um, these rebuilt structure, structures are observed by the global population, which includes the people that destroyed them. So the people who were previously honorable, the people that were previously victorious, have to see the public vindication of the people they beat, right? 
You tore this building down in war and thought like, hey, I got this, right? Beat those people. And now they're building it back up and you're like, uh, guess I don't got this, right? The shameful are honored globally and publicly, which kind of makes us feel awkward, right? Like most of us, uh, if, if you were to experience glory or, or honor publicly, like it'd feel kind of weird, right? Like if you've ever had somebody like introduce you and say like really glowing things about you, um, uh, I'm sure that's really enjoyable when you guys introduce me. I'm, it's, it's not like that, but, uh, but I'm sure I've heard it's good. I've, I've, heard, it's, I've, heard, it's, I've heard it's enjoyable. Um, but, it, but it makes us feel awkward, right? Like it's just sort of like, I don't know how to feel about that, right? Um, this is because we have really odd notions about what we think God wants to do with us. Um, we know us, we know our mistakes, and we know we are not deserving of honor. And so often we sort of think the best that God can do is to manage to tolerate us. That's like the best he can do. That like, he's like the angry parent who's just like holding back on punishing. And that's like, that's all he's got, right? Um, or we feel like maybe like we snuck in the back door and he hasn't noticed us yet. And so like, we just need to be quiet. Otherwise, someone's going to realize we're here and we're going to get kicked out, Right? Um, there's this thing called uh, imposter syndrome, right, where you, you have this feeling that at some point someone's going to realize that you don't know what you're doing and you're going to get booted, right? And uh, now everybody's even more paranoid about that because you're like, other people know about that? They're going to find out about me, right? Like, like we all experience that, right? Like you have this like, uh, I'm not sure if I know what I'm doing. Um, definitely not in preaching, right? Very confident in preaching, so uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, someone asked me this morning how I was doing, and I was like, I'm about to preach, so I'm a bundle of nerves, right? This is, uh, delivering God's word is like a weighty thing, right? And so, th- this is a challenge, though, because our, our perspective on what God is going to do with us, this isn't what God does. In Romans 3, he publicly shames Jesus as an atoning sacrifice so that he can publicly honor us. This is one of the important parts about the resurrection because in this society, dying that shameful death means that you are a shameful person. Resurrection is vindication. Jesus being resurrected is saying he's not shameful. It's not shameful to follow him. So no matter what your society tells you, it's not shameful to follow him. He's been vindicated by God and exalted to the right hand, which is the most honorable place in the world. And so he does this to Jesus to publicly honor us, right? You didn't sneak in the back door. God isn't tolerating you, right? He drew you, knowing you. He wants you, knowing you. So what does this do to other people who are exposed to shame? It gives them hope, right? Maybe, just maybe, the person who vindicated that person, maybe they could do the same thing for me. See, God saves people to draw other people so he can save them too. This is precisely what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, God being rich in mercy, which is honor, right, honor language, saves us by grace apart from our works to display his, the infinite riches of his grace, right? God is an honorable person who is, is uh, vindicating us. He's lavishing his riches upon us in the hopes that other poor people will see that and come to him in hope. 
how can we possibly respond to something like this? What, look at what Isaiah tells us next in verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. Now notice here again the audience. God isn't just vindicating, he's vindicating globally, publicly, that this is something that's going to be recognized in front of all of the nations. Because God wants the nations to know that this is the kind of thing that he does. Think back to Ephesians 2. What does Paul say next? We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to express our gratitude. God vindicates us. We express our gratitude. Even in pain, even in frustration. Because we've seen enough of God's redemption that we know that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. Just like John the Baptist in jail, we know, like, even if he does not rescue me now, he will ultimately rescue me. Think about, like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in uh, Daniel, right? The Lord is able to deliver us from this fire, Daniel chapter 3. But even if he does not, we will not bow, right? I know God can do this now, but even if he doesn't, I trust him, right? Um, you know, Job says in, uh, I think, chapter 3, though he slay me, I will yet trust him, right? Um, this, is, uh, this is what we've got to do, right? In chapter 62, verse 1, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Are you catching all the honor language here? No silence until the righteousness of God's people is a burning torch that all can see. Not only do they have new clothes, but they have new names. Guess what was one of the most important elements of identity in an honor-shame society? Your name meant everything. There's some awfully interesting names in the Bible. Did you know that, uh, that Noah's son Shem, Shem in Hebrew means name? So they have Shem, and they're like, Noah, what will his name be? And Noah says, name, name. We're going to name him name. And everybody's like, uh, okay. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, let's go with that. Um, how would you like to be called forsaken or desolate? Or maybe my delight is in her. 
In light of this, take no rest, give the Lord no rest. Declare his faithfulness to all as he advances his kingdom. What happens next in the text? Verse 6, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored, but those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. This is our our day-to-day now. God is advancing his kingdom, and we're cheering him on as we partner in the work. And this is paralleled by Paul in Ephesians again. Uh, In chapter 4, he says, God has given ministry gifts to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry until we attain the fullness of Christ. Amen. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So let's, let's do, that was perfectly placed, right? That was like, man, right on. Um, So let's do it, right? Like that's church, right? That we get together to fix one another, right? That's what equip means. It's a term for setting a broken bone, right? So we get together to, to help fix one another to go out and do ministry. And as we do that, as we repeat that process, we become more and more and more like Christ. And more people join us, and they become more and more and more like Christ, right? And then one day, one day, what happens next in Isaiah? Go through, go through the gates, Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Clear it of stones. Lift a signal over the people. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. I don't know where you're at in your life. Um, maybe things are awesome for you, which in that case, like, yay for you, um, right? Um, if that's the case, then like shout it from the rooftops. Not because of like how great you are, but because of how great he is, right? Um, you know, I, uh, I get to be the, the resident nerd here because I've um, got a bachelor's and a master's in lots of really nerdy things and I'm working on a PhD and really nerdy things. Um, that's really cool, but it comes along with it, this wonderful thing called student loans, um, which I'm sure none of you like have any, any experience with that, right? Like none of us have ever, yeah. Uh, it's fun, man, always fun. Um, can I just say, if somebody paid off all of my student loans, I would never cease to tell people about that person, right? Like I would look for opportunities in conversation to say, let me tell you how cool this person is at every chance, right? Um, you know, Cicero, who is not a Christian, um, dealing with this sort of thing says uh, that if someone gives you an extravagant gift, you should, you should say, I shall never be able to repay you my gratitude, but at any rate, I shall not cease from declaring everywhere that I am unable to repay it. I want everyone to know that you have outgiven my ability to show gratitude. 
I, I can't be grateful enough for the gift that you've given me, and I need everybody to know about that. That's Cicero, not even talking about the gospel, right? How much more should we brag on our king? How much more should we brag on our benefactor? But if your life is not going great, um, I can promise, uh, or even if your life is going great, rather, sorry, I can promise you that you know somebody that doesn't fit into that category. Um, So if that's the case, introduce God to the circumstance, right? Don't don't brag about your life. Don't talk about your life. Um, Please, please, please don't try to, like, say, like, you know what it's like if you don't, right? Um, You know, uh, if you've ever been to a funeral, any of the things that you've heard at a funeral, just don't say any of those, right? Like, because... We're just bad at that stuff, right? We hate silence, and so we just want to, like, fill it with stuff, and then we say silly things. Um, bring God into the circumstance and, and let him take over. Uh, stand on the wall and cheer him on as he restores and redeems, because that's what he does, right? That's who he is. And for those of you who are life, you know, maybe isn't so great for you, uh, be encouraged. This is what God does right? He fixes this stuff, um, and he's going to fix it in your life. Uh, I, I, like John the Baptist, I can't tell you that he's going to fix it right now, but I can tell you he's going to fix it. Um, you know, I uh, teach at a Bible college, and the problem of evil often comes up, and, uh, you know, the problem of evil is if, if God's so good, why do bad things happen, right? And frequently, people will say, you know, if God was so good, he would just eradicate evil, and my response to that is, amen, and he will. Like, he will. He doesn't disagree with you on that point. All he disagrees with you on is the timeline, right? He is going to eradicate all evil. He is going to set all things right. So let's just be patient, right? Because he knows more things than we do. And so in that patience, don't let him rest. See what he does. Um, God really is remarkable at this stuff. Um, I, when my wife and I were moving from California, it was really hard. And uh, we had this really amazing apartment that the Lord had miraculously delivered to us. And we wanted to try to find somebody to move into that apartment that could, you know, bless our landlady. Because she's this wonderful lady from Costa Rica, sister in Christ, like just this amazing woman. And so we wanted to bless her for being our landlady. We didn't want to just like leave and have her just kind of like have to like play tenant roulette, right? You know, and just try to see if she could find somebody. But we just couldn't find anybody. We just kept praying about it and praying about it. And we just felt like the Lord, you know, kept impressing upon us that we should wait. So one day at church, we're just milling about and, uh, you know, talking to people before church. You know how you do. And, uh, this girl comes up to us and she's like, do you guys know any apartments in this area? And we're like, yeah, as a matter of fact. What do you need? And she's like, well, I'm new to the area and I'm training to be a missionary in Costa Rica and I need a place to live. And we're like, oh, do you now? Like, huh, well, isn't that something? And so not only did she get to like have a landlady who spoke Spanish, she got to have a landlady who was from Costa Rica, right? <laughs> like, and got to, and who was a Christian and got to like actually like learn the culture personally from someone who had grown up there, right? Like that's like, how do you even plan that, right? 
unless you're God. He does that. Remember the C.S. Lewis sermon that I mentioned? In the same service sermon, he says that we think that God finds our desires too strong. We think that God looks at us and says, you're asking too much. But in reality, God actually finds our desires too weak. If you were to, to honestly vocalize the things that you want, God would just sort of chuckle and, and say, like, let's, let's up it a little bit, right? Let's times that by 100. Like, you're, you're, not, you're not even close, right? Lewis says that uh, we're like children content making mud pies because we don't understand what it is to be offered a vacation at sea. That's the, the juxtaposition that he gives us. I've definitely been there wallowing in the mud, pessimistically jeering at the cruise ship as though it were something bad, assuming that nothing but the worst could happen in my life. And I had a lifetime of anecdotal evidence to support that belief. But if life is a cycle of bad and good, we get to choose which one we're going to focus on. Both exist. Um, and, and look, I've been there, right? I've been there. Um, I, I've been, I, I have been there where I have nothing left. Uh, I, where I, I told my counselor, like, if I get a flat tire on the way home, I'm going to kill myself because I have no margin left for anything. And so if one more little thing happens, like I'm done, I got nothing left, right? I've been there. Um, but right now in this sermon, I'm literally practicing what I'm preaching, right? Because the Lord has done great things in me. So come to him and let him do great things in you. And as he does great things in you, let that draw other people to come to him so that he can do great things in them. Let's listen to these words again. I know this isn't scripture, but I think this is, a, this is a, the heart of the Lord for us. I hear the whisper underneath your breath. I hear you whisper, you have nothing left. I will send out an army to find you. In the middle of the darkest night, it's true, I will rescue you. I will never stop marching to reach you in the middle of the hardest fight. It's true. I will rescue you. Let's stop spending our energy on the mud pies. Let's stand up and start walking towards the cruise ship. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that... Um, Lord, that you embrace us as we are where we are, who we are, what we are. Nothing about us surprises you. Nothing about us causes you to, to turn the other way and walk away. Lord, as your word says, that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On our worst day, you gave it all for us. So, Father, I pray that, that you would illuminate every corner of our hearts, all of the little dark places that we try to hide, that you would illuminate those, Lord. You would confront those. You would bring healing to those. You would bring restoration to those. That people could see a difference in us, that you would be able to redeem them as well. 
Lord, not just for us, not just for them, but for the sake of your name, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your glory. In the precious name of your Son. Amen.